Let's go ahead and start um, with prayer, and then I'll let you know what I try to want to try to get through uh, this evening. Father in heaven, thank you for the day, being good to us, watching over us, and Lord, I just thank you for your just impenetrable wisdom, might, and power, and goodness. And Lord, you, your ways are past finding out. We, we thank you that our hope is in you, and we know that we are standing on a sure foundation. Guide us now as we study your record of your acts down through <clears throat> this world's time. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I want to begin with chapter 7 of Genesis tonight. Um, we have six Wednesday nights left um, before, I think there's, there may be one, yeah, we're off the Wednesday night before Thanksgiving. But um, anyway, we have six Wednesday nights before we get to Christmas. Um, we're off two Wednesday nights, and then after um, first of the year, we're, we're back. So I, I can't imagine that we'll um, need six Sundays or six Wednesday nights to finish our study here on first 11 chapters of Genesis. So whenever we get down with it, then we'll, we'll start our next one um, on Christian ethics. And, you know, th those will be even more kind of standalone lessons. So a, a night off here and there isn't going to hurt us. <clears throat> um, just read this morning in my regular reading about um, Israel all the people of Israel stoning, <clears throat> stoning Achan to death because he messed up um, things with Israel. And we don't want to do anything that serious, but we could you kind of as a metaphor or, or kind of in an illustration um, do something figuratively um, given the fact that Jim Brooks failed to have the... Um, music stand set up here ready for um, me to just walk in here and you'll be ready to go. I had to go get this by myself, if you can believe that. So I, I don't think stoning is quite, do it two, two three times in a row though, and it could be uh, pretty serious. So um, <clears throat> anyway, chapter seven of Genesis is uh, the actual time spent on the ark. And, um, you know, God gathering Noah, all the animals, and so forth. And um, coming into the ark. And <clears throat> gives us the length of the time and so forth. Um, and then eight is the beginning of the um, declining of the flood and heading towards the earth drying up. And then you have Adam, or, uh, Noah and his family coming off of the ark. And in the ninth chapter, which um, 
finishes the whole record of the flood. <clears throat> you have the covenant of the rainbow that God will never destroy again with a flood. And then um, you have what's called the uh, Noahic covenant. Um, and that is the covenant in nine. He gives them, you know, if, you'll, if you'll obey me, I'll bless you and multiply the earth. And he establishes capital punishment. He establishes um, the, <clears throat> well, I guess we could, we could call it, um, the spreading of the earth, but it's before Tower of Babel, which that comes in chapter 11. But he begins to sort out the nations, okay? Now, <clears throat> um, so in seven, one through five, they enter the ark. Um, seven pairs of clean animals, male and female, and two pairs of unclean um, and I explained last week uh, why they were more clean than unclean. They were the ones they ate. Second, they were the ones that they sacrificed. Um, after they entered, it says the Lord closed the door. And then um, Noah and his family, in verse 10, I don't know, the, we don't need to know the reason for the wait. There's a 10 or a seven day wait um, in verse 10. And then you have this um, dating and description. Verse 11, this was Noah's 600th year of his life. And it was in the second month, um, the 17th day. Now, just, they of course had a totally different calendar then, it was a lunar calendar, so it was like 350 some days a year, not 365. But at any rate, um, for me to understand it or help myself remember it, in our calendar, he went into the ark on February the 17th, <laughs> okay? Um, and then later in the chapter, um, we're told, um, you know, when, when they came off. It ends up, that Noah and his family um, and the animals that he brought there were on the ark from the time they got in to the time they walked down the plank to get off. It's right out a year and 10 days um, by their calendar, okay? Um, I, one thing I had never thought of, but I ran across it's like 50 days or so before that when the ark rested um, before they got off that Noah took the covering off, which that would have let all the birds loose, I guess. Okay, So the birds maybe got off um, a little early unless they were in cages. Okay, I was... Oh, never mind. Um, <clears throat> okay, um... Notice the description here, and we'll probably refer back to this, but this is a description of how God brought the water. The fountains, verse 11, the fountains um, of the great deep burst open, and the floodgates of the sky were open, or the windows of heaven were opened. 
the rain fell upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, um, let's just stop there for a second. And I don't know whether I ought to, let, let's wait for a second. We'll just keep going. Because um, I have some questions, observations, whatever, a little further on. Um, so that was the very same day um, that uh, Noah and his family came on the ark. Um, and we go down to uh, verse 17. Flood came upon the earth for 40 days, and the water increased and lifted up the ark so that it rose above the earth. The water prevailed and increased greatly upon the earth. The ark floated on the surface of the water. The water prevailed more and more upon the earth so that all the high mountains everywhere under the heavens were covered. The water prevailed 15 cubits higher, and the mountains were covered. 15 cubits, if we go with the 18-inch cubit, you know that's about somewhere in the neighborhood of 22 feet. Um, if it's the 21-inch um, cubit versus 18, I don't know, somewhere on 25 feet. But um, it was well above the tops of the highest um, mountains. 21, all flesh that moved on the earth perished. Birds and cattle and beasts and every swarming thing that swarms upon the earth and all mankind of all that was on the dry land, all in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life, died. Thus he blotted out every living thing that was upon the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things to birds of the sky. They were blotted out from the earth, and only Noah was left together with those that were with him in the ark. The water prevailed upon the earth 150 days. Okay? Now, um, just a fast note in 20, verse 22. It seems that God is lumping together all the animals, all the air-breathing um, birds, animals, so forth, and man as one in whom the spirit of life is. Now, there's two kinds of life, in a sense. Um, one, for want of a better term, um, a lot of people refer to it as animal life, just general life. It's the kind of life um, that gives alertness, movement, and so forth, and some capabilities, you know, I guess we don't really know, to animals, to think, to to obey, to learn, you know, whatever. Um, in that sense, we also have that kind of animal life. But humans have the eternal spirit, the breath of God, which makes us eternal. Um, we will, we lay down our animal life, if you want to call it that, when our body can no longer function, at, but we don't cease to exist like every other being does. Our, that then frees our eternal spirit to return to God who gave it and return to dwell in heaven or, or hell uh, before and after judgment, okay? So it's just everything that was, quote, living, if that makes sense. Everything that was living died. <clears throat> um, it apparently 
for this 150 days, the water continued to, to rise. Um, and then when we get to um, <clears throat> chapter 8, God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the cattle that were with him in the ark. And God caused a wind to pass over the earth. The water subsided. Now remembered here, of course, doesn't mean that he'd, he had forgotten. And um, realized, my goodness, I forgot about those people on that ark. He, that's not what it means. it means. It means that they were, as all of us are, were ever before God. We're always in his presence. We always matter. He's always paying attention to us. He cares for us. And so it, it, that's a, it's a tender-hearted way to say, you know, God was taking care of them. Um, even in this unusual and spectacular situation. So we remembered them, caused this wind. Also the fountains of the deep and the floodgates of the sky were closed. The rain from the sky was restrained and the water receded steadily from the earth. And at the end of 150 days, the water decreased. So I think it's the same 150 days. Um, it, that's when flood you know, reached its height and it began to decline. In the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark rested upon the mountains of Ararat. Okay, so remember, if they got in the ark February the 17th, okay, by our calendar, um, it would have been July, um, July the 17th, that the ark rested, they didn't know on what, but it rested on the uh, upper part, and there isn't a mountain itself called Ararat, Okay, um, it's not like, well, I think where I grew up, Mount Hood, or Mount St. Helens, or Mount Rainier. They're all called the Cascades, okay? So this would, could be saying the, you know, after on the 10th day or 7th day or whatever, 7th day or 7th month, 17th day, it rested on the, Cascades, okay, because that's the chain, is the name, the mountains of Ararat, okay. Now, um, <clears throat> so it ground, you know, it grounded, sat there. The water increased or decreased steadily until the 10th month, so that'd be October. Um, in the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains became visible, then it came about at the end of 40 days more, Noah opened the window of the ark which he'd made, and he sent out a raven, and it flew here and there until the water was dried up. That really means back and forth. Exactly what was going on with it, I don't know. Um, then he sent out a dove from him, see that the water was abated from the face of the land, but the dove found no resting place, so he came back. Um, Water was still on the surface of the earth. He put out his hand, took her in, brought her into the ark, waited another seven days, sent the dove out again. She returns in 11 with a freshly, freshly picked olive leaf. Okay? Now, here's just one little place um, of how deeply into uh, all of Western civilization the, the Bible still has... Um, 
imprinted itself. We talk about extending an, an olive branch. I guess we do. Anybody ever heard of that? We'll say, whether it's countries or political enemies or whoever, you know, extend an olive branch. That comes from this. It was a symbol of that the ruinous flood was over. There was hope. There was a future. Um, it's a symbol of peace. Uh, so we'll see pictures of that. A dove with an olive twig in its beak. Um, and so then he waits another seven days, sends her out. She doesn't come back, which means she's found you know, place to nest. So. Um, then, in the 601st year, in the first month, in the first of the month, the water was dried up from the earth. Then Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the surface of the ground was dried up. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dry. So remember, they, he went into the ark on the second month of his 600th year, this he is, it's now he's ready to get off in the second month, 27th day. So just 10 days or so, over one year, they were on board the ark. God said, go out of the ark, you and your wife, your sons, your sons' wives, bring out with you everything that's, that you have. Noah went out, 18, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, so forth, went out by their families from the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. The Lord smelled the soothing aroma. The Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. I'll never again destroy every living thing as I've done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Now, looking at um, all of that, Noah offers thanks to God. God approves, accepts it, said it was a, a soothing aroma to God. And then give, God gives this promise, I'll never again curse the ground for the sake of man. Um, and then it seems, it may seem a bit confusing is as we read here, I will never again curse the ground on account of man for the intent, the inclination of man's heart is evil from his youth. We'll quit there. Anybody want to explain what, why, why does he stick that in there? I'll never again curse the ground. Okay. We deserve it. Why does he specify what man's heart, even though they, we've gone through this catastrophic event where God snuffed the lives out of everybody but Noah and his wife, three sons, and their, their wives. You would think that would 
remove the need for God to ever judge them like that again. You understand what I mean? But he says, really what's God saying here? This was necessary. I did it. I knew, obviously, God's all wise. He knew exactly what he was doing. But he was saying, it's not like I'm never going to have to deal with this again. Hearts haven't changed one bit. The inclination is evil. And the, the word youth here means infancy. I mean, it's you know, from, from their uh, coming into the world. Their hearts are evil. So nothing has changed in, in that sense. Um, the pollution of the heart of mankind uh, pooled prior to the flood led to a depth of depravity um, and wickedness that God finally said, I, I will not put up with it anymore. And so destroys everything and says, no, I will not. And he goes into more detail here in chapter 9 where he says, I set my bow, the rainbow, in the heavens so that whenever I make a cloud come over, don't be afraid. Both animals and men, mankind, sees, you know, the, the um, elements are right. Maybe they looked like they did when the flood actually came. Don't worry. I, I will look upon the rainbow and remember the covenant I made with you. I'll never, I'll never destroy the world with water, a flood, again. Now, he didn't say he wouldn't destroy the world again. He said, yeah, I'll just do it. I just won't do it with water. <laughs> we know that the next time it's going to be done with fire. Now, here's just... Peter refers to this and likens it, he, to some degree, likens it to the sim, symbolism of baptism. But Peter's also one of a number who says the elements of the world, the earth, are now being kept by the power of God, awaiting the day of destruction by fire. So there is, I think there is a great parallel here. The symbolism or the, the, the washing away of, the, of our sins, our personal sinning against God and our record of transgressions in God, against God, is um, symbolized by baptism with water. When Jesus was baptized with water by John the Baptist, John the Baptist immediately said to all the onlookers, I baptize with water for the forgiveness of sins. Those are personal that I've committed. But he said, he will baptize you with fire, with the Holy Spirit and with fire, which is fire's purifying property. There, symbolically, in the flood and then in the final uh, disposition of the earth is a parallel of God's approach to dealing with the sin problem. I have to experience 
cleansing of water and cleansing by fire. Okay? Now, um, and then 22, you have this statement about the, harp, uh, the, the seasons, the permanence of the seasons. Um, now, I've meant to kind of hurry through all of this to get to um, a longer discussion here, some observations, some questions. Um, first of all, none of you here are surprised that the world at large and quote scientists who you know claim to wisdom will perish with them, um, the flood itself is a, a nonsensical myth. What do you say to those, what do you say to the question, was there a literal worldwide flood or not? Pardon me? It seems so. It seems so. Why? On what basis? What proof do you have of that? That's my first sentence. God said so. Okay. For I can't help the believer, or I can't help the non-believer who rejects this. But obviously, one really good reason is God, who was there, said so. Jesus refers to it. He says that when the Son of Man himself returns, it'll be like in the days of Noah. When, and here's what he said that gives us a little insight onto what things were like before the flood. He said, it'll be, when, when I return, it'll be like in the days of Noah. They were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage. What's he describing there? Now, I know it was a bad day. It was filled with violence and all. But what was he really describing? Regular life. life. Run-of-the-mill day. Yes, wickedness. But regular enough that he said they knew not until the flood came, took them all away. Okay? So there was... In spite of the description of the moral depravity that was that ruled here, it was still enough of day-to-day -day life that people were caught off guard. The only ones who weren't would have been Noah and his family. Um, so, first, God said so. Second, there is abundant, and I mean abundant, evidence of a massive alteration or, alter, you know, alterating water event on this earth. Um, I can say this about the Pacific Northwest where I grew up. It's the same thing around here. They'd find seashells up on the top of Mount Hood. Um, and you, you have evidence of water 
um, seas being in places that are maybe now deserts. Um, <clears throat> we have clear evidence that at some point the, the entire globe was tropical-like. We have not, here, here's something that, of course, we have frozen woolly mammoths, frozen what they're, you know, they'll call a prehistoric, a woolly rhinoceros, um, a lot of animals, Clerp, Siberia, wherever else, that are, that are frozen with undigested tropical plants still in their digestive system. Now, what all of that points to such a cataclysmic freezing event that um, evolution can't explain, passage of time can explain. This is, this is something so out of the ordinary. Um, and I have read that slow freezing to death, not you know, killing, butchering, and freezing. But if, if freezing to death, then being frozen, um, is, takes its normal way, crystals form in the cells as the slow freezing is taking place, and it destroys the cells, ruins the use of any meat. This was quick frozen. It was almost like, um, well, I won't tell too many Oregon stories, but um, when I was in junior high and high school, we would go down to the beach all the time. We'd always have a beach trip. Um, sometime in the summer, we'd go up in the mountains for a ski trip in the winter. Uh, but we'd go down to um, a place on the Oregon coast where a, a doctor in our church um, that I grew up in in Eugene had a big cabin there. And so we'd go down there and all the kids, you know, we'd um, have our beach retreat. Well, um, it was wild kind of coast. It was rugged. Um, you know, all Oregon's not got a comfortable beach situation. It's cold. Um, and you got to almost wear a wetsuit or, or you become so numb you don't know where you are. Um, and every single tree there has all of its branches blowing one way. Um, and so it's spooky. I mean, it's, it's horror movie type stuff at night, no lights. Well, we would go through, it was probably, I don't know, probably wasn't more than two, 300 yards. But we would go along this cliff um, pretty dangerous cliff, way down, rocks and the surf beating on it and all that, to this huge mansion. And it was just really, it was almost like out of a, um, you know, a horror movie. You could look inside and all of the furniture was covered with, you know, those uh, white sheets, fitted kind of sheets to cover like, the rich, you know, mansion who they left for the season and then they're coming back. Um, everything was covered with that. Um, they, there were some, you know, just stuff kind of grown up. It's, it looked abandoned and it basically, 
seemed to be. There was a caretaker that was around once in a while, but we'd always sneak over there, scare the girls, you know, and whatever. Um, <clears throat> swore up and down, you know, you heard something, and uh, it's real spooky. It was the mansion of a guy, last name Bird, Bird's Eye, who patented and invented quick freezing and started the frozen food thing. And that was his, one of his palatial homes. Um, but he figured out, you know, of course, a way to freeze uh, vegetables and various kinds of food so quickly that it didn't form those crystals and destroy the meat, whether it was carrots or whatever it was. Um, this really, in a seemingly unexplainable way, was God's quick freeze deal <laughs> here. So that doesn't happen naturally, okay? It can't. Um, we have evidence like that. Here's something else that I think is um, not insignificant. Virtually, first of all, o over in the Middle East, next to Palestine, uh, up through, you know, what's today Iraq and Assyria, or, or Syria, Iran, every one of those cultures has a flood record. They all do. Liz took a class when I was in seminary we were out in Portland, and <clears throat> she was getting her degree at Portland State. She took a class as an elective called Flood Legends of the Pacific Northwest Indian Tribes, okay? And I, I love history, and so I ended up reading that book. It's fascinating how I mean, this fair, you know, Pacific Northwest uh, is quite a ways away from where the flood took place or started, where Noah lived, okay? The, the, they were fairly primitive um, stories, but they all had a couple basic facts embedded in their story. I, one I'll give you is um, the tribes around Mount Shasta, which is down in Northern California, right off of Interstate 5. And they believed, they taught that um, everybody was bad, everybody got bad, and whoever the gods were got one guy, one man, and his wife I don't remember that they had much in the way of animals and all that, but they had a dugout canoe, and they roped that canoe to the top of Mount Shasta. I don't know if anybody's ever seen Mount Shasta, driven by it. Um, it's a beautiful mountain. Anyway, I, it's pretty high. I can't remember exactly the um, alt or elevation, but anyway, that they rode out a flood <coughs> in this canoe tied to the top of Mount Shasta and when the thing was over they were the only people left and they came down from the mountain and you know resettled and so forth um, doesn't have all the elements but it does have the basic elements 
scattered across everywhere. So to me, that is a huge piece of evidence that indeed God's record here is accurate. There was. Now, even those who, um, in a second, will look at why uh, there's such opposition to the, to the idea of a worldwide general flood. Uh, there are a few people that will even grudgingly admit, well, you know, there's some local flooding that was really pretty bad, but, you know, it was the Tigris and Euphrates or whatever, and they cleaned it all up and things were fine. Um, they won't do, they desperately fight against the idea of a general flood around the world, Okay. Now, um, there's several reasons then why I believe that um, without any question, ultimately God said so, but there's plenty of corroborating evidence. There was a flood, okay? Actually, do you know how late, anybody have any idea how late um, serious questioning of the flood story um, coming under attack, uh, do you know the dates or when that happened? In England, Scotland, in um, the mid to late 1700s was the first time anybody began to question the flood story. This all helped pave the way for the early 1800s of Darwin. And it was during the 1700s, questioning the flood, when the idea came about, and maybe we'll just, uh, you don't have to memorize this name, or this uh, term, um, uniformitarianism, okay? Uniformitarianism was introduced in the 1700s. Uniformitarianism is the teaching that the um, systems, geological, um, you know, physics, uh, weather, chemical, all those things have always operated completely predictably from the beginning of the world. They never have deviated. Okay, now, just hang on for a second. So that... Uniformitarianism was f produced, promoted, against another teaching called catastrophism. Okay? Now, catastrophism is the teaching that the earth was created by God. There was a, a, a literal flood. The earth has had times when it has been interrupted by supernatural, catastrophic events, okay? And those catastrophic events have completely disrupted, unsettled the world to the point that the world that then was is not now, and while many of the um, systems, physic, physics and so forth, are again intact. They were 
they were interrupted. They were, um, and so the, the world today isn't the same world that was back then. They maintain, these introducers of this new thinking maintained that the world hasn't changed at all, okay? The, the, the system of mountains gradually rising up, forced up the earth crust, and the rain and the weather and the wind and so forth, eroding them away. All of those kinds of laws have always been, never ceased, never changed in their intensity. Things have just gone along normal and there was no supernatural intervention at any point. Therefore, if you're going to have mountains rise in the natural formations of mountains, if you're going to have the erosion with the wind and the freezing and thawing and the cracking and all that stuff, that takes way more than 6,000 to 10,000 years. So in the 1700s, with this uniformitarianism, they introduced the notion of massive stretches of time. Time is necessary then to accomplish all of these different things that happen to the earth. Now, here's why they hate the flood story. Because the flood story will explain all of the things that eons of time and water and air, wind, freezing, all that supposedly does. Okay? Um, <clears throat> the flood explains, because when you look, if we look back, <clears throat> I think it's perfectly reasonable. Um, well, let, let's, let's jump to the New Testament and quote Peter. Peter said, speaking of the flood, he said, the world that then was, was destroyed. Okay? It was destroyed. Now, I think we have, clearly, some of the same rocks and the same chemicals and the, what do we got, a hundred and how many elements do we have? Um, you know, but very few of them are arranged like they were then. It was destroyed, okay? So when you have, you can drive, even just stay in Wyoming, but especially if you drive out to the west um, and you go through some of these canyons where you have these sediment and then all of a sudden you'll see, you'll, it's turned up, you'll see some flipped and that's, the, the great fountains of the deep were opened. The earth crust was burst open. Water beneath the crust is thrust up. Remember too, in the creation story, he divided by something called, the King James calls it the firmament, um, the heavens. The heavens served at what was this, the second day or whenever creation, separated the waters below the heavens from the waters above the heavens. Okay? I don't know for sure. I have, for a long time, 
kind of, um, well, I've held to without having, you know, tons of proof. Um, but I've held to the idea that the earth um, prior to the flood was swathed in a, the, he- the water above the heavens. It was a um, vapor cloud um, you know, moisture-laden atmosphere um, that, that you'd have to have if you're going to have tropical plants in Siberia. Um, and so I think that all of that, whatever, all of that water that he says was above the heavens, um, came down in a torrent and behind it exposed everything to the elements that were shielded from getting through by this layer of vapor. I think that could explain the plummeting of the ages of people after the flood. The atmosphere was much, much harsher, less um, comfortable for longevity. And so right after the flood, you have, you have people averaging up into the 900s prior, and it nosedives to where when you get to Abraham, he lived 175 years um, from Noah lived 950. So that the something had to be um, as it was, something had to be around the earth to give the hothouse setting. Okay, I just finished a book on uh, <coughs> Robert <coughs> Robert Scott, the English Antarctic explorer and the, his last um, journey to the South Pole um, died on the way back. Um, they found protruding coal seams uh, up through the ice in Antarctica. There's no way in the world that just that raw data um, from both the North Pole regions the south um, of obvious presence of plants and animals and that produce coal. Um, there's no way in the world you can explain that, but obviously something un- indescribably cataclysmic. At the same time, it, it adds up perfectly with God's report of what he did. So, there's, a, there's an incentive then for the non-creationist and the evolutionist to bitterly fight against any notion of a flood because it will answer virtually every question that evolution answers with billions of years and no cataclysmic or catastrophic intervention. The flood explains that.
Now, <clears throat> um, let's see here. Here's another thought. I was, here's another question, I guess, I, I would ask. Um, how do we explain? There's a couple of things that I think also happened in the flood. I don't know for sure. But how did the earth get tilted 23 degrees? And what did they bring? What does the tilted earth bring? Seasons. So I wonder, I don't know this, but when God tells Noah that while the earth remains, seed time harvest, cold heat, summer, winter, day and night shall not cease. Now I know that they had day and night before the flood. Okay, we know that. But I wonder if this statement to Noah was not that Noah, the seasons you're used to will resume. Don't, don't worry. Or was now that the earth, I think as a result of the devastation of the flood, ice coming down on the poles, um, that tilting of the, of the axis of the earth, that's what produces seasons. I'm wondering then, especially if it's a tropical atmosphere, which there's ample evidence for that, if they really had seasons like we have prior to the flood. If there was a shroud of cloud and vapor that produced an over the whole surface of the earth uniform temperature and climate that was tropical, I... I wouldn't hesitate, I think, too much to speculate that the notable season started after the flood. When he said, this is what, things are different now. Um, I don't know that for sure. Anybody want to take the other side or comment? I don't know. But a lot changed after the flood. If indeed um, th that what we've been talking about here is some description of it, you've got the start of seasons, you've got the start of drastic decline of longevity, which has to be linked somehow to exposure to a harsher elements of, an, of the environment than they had previously had. You get to Moses, and he's saying already then, um, our days are three score and ten. Seventy years, if by reason of strength, they're eighty. Well, it wasn't that many generations earlier that they were living 950, like, like Noah. So um, this was, the flood is an amazing event, okay? And it certainly has to be... Um, without question, being worldwide, the nothing before or after it until final destruction, okay? Now, um, you know, wouldn't, well, we're, I guess we could quit pretty soon. Um, 
get out before the kids do. Any um, any thoughts, comments, um, or brilliant statements? Yeah. Hey. Pardon me. Max talking about higher oxygen. I read about some of that. I can't completely understand it, but um, they were talking about that. There are some theories too um, against against the okay the uniformitarian uniform whatever bunch argues against what's called the canopy theory. That's that there was a shroud of clouds around the earth. They argue that all of that vapor, for it to become liquid and come down as rain, something about in the hydrogen and oxygen coming together to make the rain, make the liquid or the other way around, um, I never t made it in chemistry, um, but that it would reduce so much heat in that chemical reaction that it would have heated the entire earth and, and just cooked everything, okay? The argument that the catastrophists advance is nothing was normal then in that particular event. This was a supernatural event and normal, um, rules, if you want to call it, of physics were turned on their head. Um, and that to state that chemical reactions we know about now prohibited, God couldn't have done that because of this, is to trust in human reasoning and, and rule out something that God plainly said he did and there's all kinds of evidence that he did. So... Um, yeah, I got, I got, yeah, I'll tell you what it reminds me of. When I got done reading about this oxygen level and all that and what happened to change it, I thought of <clears throat> the book of Job where one of his friends said that he'd had a vision the night before and out of it he got some balderdash theology that he told to Job but he said I had a vision in the night and he says my ear heard a little of it okay when I got done reading all that chemical stuff today um, I got a little thereof but um, I think that there's likely something to that Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's. Um, I don't believe that God needed necessarily to suspend his physical laws. He knows what, what he's doing. Um, but to try to look at that, this event through the. Um, you know, the rigid, scheduled, predictable things we look at today, um, well, we'd end up with the conclusion that God probably couldn't have done this.
but he did. Somebody, anybody else? Somebody else seemed like, yeah. 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 And out of the whole DNA of, you know, the subsequent generations. Um, some of the, you know, it's inter- you, you reminded me, some people take the position where uh, the verse where God said, my spirit will not always strive with man, I'm going to give him 120 years more. I've never thought of this, and I don't agree with it, but I've always felt like, I'm ready to destroy this place because that's the context in which he says that. But I'm going to lay, I'm going to back off, I'm going to delay for 120 years to see if you'll repent. Some people feel that he was stating a length of future life expectancy. I'm going to give you 120 years, well, I, which I don't, because that contradicts Moses' three score and ten or maybe four score. Um, but anyway. There's, it's pretty amazing the number of rabbit trails that people take, you know, you look at commentators and whatever, on the flood. There's, we really don't, other than archeological and biblical, um, there's much we don't know. But that doesn't hurt our case, because God said, I I, I believe it, and, the world has a vested interest in in undermining it. Okay, anything else? Yeah. Uh, you know, th- there's nothing biblical that says that. There's... Um, and I, and I understand the background of that thinking is because God, it's a symbol of the covenant between him and us. And that it would, in a sense, touch both, you know what I mean, um, is likely where that um, thought comes from. But I, I guess we went strictly on biblical um, record, we don't know, you know. Anything else? Read, if you would, um, 9, and um, I'll wait. You can read about the, the event with Noah planting a vineyard and becoming drunk, and, um, well, I won't tell you what my interpretation of that is. Um, but anyway, uh, then you have what will, it, it, it will seem kind of boring or tedious because much of 10 um, are the descendants of the three sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. From those three um, sons, the entire world was repopulated. So every single one of us um, uh, every human living, every person on the globe 
either had Shem, Ham, or Japheth as their ancestor. Um, all of us that um, I imagine, all of us here tonight, would be Japhethites, okay? Um, the Semites are all the, you know, um, Jewish and descendants of Ishmael, and there's an awful lot of uh, Semites. Um, then you have um, Africa, mostly populated, Canaan, Palestine, Africa, Ham, um, and of course there's intermingling in, in the millennia since then, which will partly be explained in chapter 11. With Chapter 11 introduces us to the whole situation with the Tower of Babel, and then it concludes, it narrows down to the genealogy of Abraham, and then chapter 12 is, focuses on Abraham and the raising up of a, the nation of Israel. Okay. All right. Well, let's go ahead and um, pray, and we'll we'll be dismissed. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we just want to confess to you that we we don't understand everything. We obviously uh, weren't given every single detail. You knew to give us what we needed to know. We want you to know that we believe you and there are no human arguments against your word. And so while we don't know all the details, Lord, we see your mighty power and your complete righteousness and judgment in this terrible event. And therefore we can also trust that when you said you will destroy it one more time, when wickedness grows to such a level, with fire, you will indeed do that also. Help us be ready and walking with you that we might be, in the words of Titus, delivered from the wrath to come through Jesus Christ. Go with us tonight, I pray, keep us safe. And watch over our souls that we just walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you are dismissed. <clears throat>